projects and food and beverage facilities usually mean short turnaround time and a special focus on cleanliness. Today, we'll talk to our resident food and beverage coding expert to see what other things contractors should keep in mind when working inside of processing facilities, especially the need for FDA and USDA compliance. Welcome to Coding's Decoded. I am Mark Thomas, and today I'm joined by Dan O'Toole. Dan is the sales director for Tenemic Company and handles manufacturing and processing facilities. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. So Dan, let's talk about some of the critical items for industry compliance, facility cleanliness, uh, and food and beverage plants. And let's start with one really critical issue that I think a lot of confusion uh, is around, and that is the role that FDA plays concerning the coatings for food and beverage plants. Well, Mark, that's probably the biggest question I get um, fielded uh, from the field, whether it's a coating specialist from Tenemic or a plant owner, or most often through a contractor. And that's, what do I use here? Is it a USDA or is it an FDA coating or lining system that I need here? And um, I think I'd like to just start with the FDA portion of it. And the FDA is basically the governing body for the food safety codes. They set the safety codes. They set the uh, CFR standards. Uh, and um, the most latest edition was published in 2017. And it's not much different than the previous ones before that. And um, so the USDA then follows their recommendations and the code standards um, for these antipathogens and keeping these plants clean and safe. Now, the FDA is a division of the uh, Health and Human uh, uh, Services Division, and uh, it's been around for quite a while, but it most frequently involves us as coatings manufacturers when it comes to direct food contact. So if you have a tank lining that's going to be in direct food contact, whether it's a uh, uh, beer fermentation tank or starch processing or something like that, that is a direct food contact lining. And it has to be uh, compliant to this FDA standard. And the reason why is because, because it comes in food contact, it could become what they call an indirect additive into the food source. There's always a possibility of that. And so that's why you have to be very careful with manufacturing your linings. And uh, we're all still operating as coatings manufacturers back in the late 1950s when the FDA uh, looked into uh, acceptable types of linings and materials and raw materials that could be used uh, for cans, for processing cans where food was put into. <clears throat> but it also applied to reusable containers, which is what we deal with in the coatings industry, which is uh, tanks and vessels that are processing the food. And so what they did is they went out to the manufacturers of these linings and they looked at the list of ingredients and they came up with an acceptable list of ingredients you can use to formulate coatings with. Now, there's many, many linings out there that can be used within our company and other companies to work in a beer tank or a flour bin or something like that. But if they're not made with the appropriate materials, they cannot be used. One other big um, misconception out there is that FDA approves these linings. There is no approval by the FDA. There is no website you can go to and uh, find whose coatings or linings are approved by them. We have to be compliant. The standard is set, and that standard is 21 CFR 
175.300 for uh, uh, resinous and polymeric coatings. That's a fancy term for it. And that list, what you can formulate with, that list how much of those raw materials you can put in there. And you have to follow that. And it's kind of a three-step process. So that's what we do as a manufacturer is we manufacture with those gross generally recognized as safe ingredients. We make sure we don't put more in it than what the book allows us to put in. And then we have to uh, check the vendors to make sure the vendors who are sending us those raw materials are also FDA compliant to this 175-300 standards. Then lastly, what you have to do is go through extraction testing. And extraction testing is basically where we determine what the food service is going to be. Like how is it being made? Is it in a hot tank? Is it being pasteurized? So that's the condition of use. Then you also have the food types. You know, is it a 5% alcohol material? Is it, does it have butter fat in it or ingredients like that? So you have to do extraction testing to meet those food conditions as well as those types of foods. Now, we feel it's best to have a third party review everything we do, vet our formula, make sure there's no new FDA, what they call FCN food contact notifications to these raw materials. So they look at our formula, they look at uh, who we're using, they vet them for efficacy and acceptability, and then they do the extraction testing. So what we get at the end of the day for our owners and our clients for a direct food contact tank lining is we get a third party opinion that this is certified to conform to the FDA standard. So it's not just on the product data sheet by Tanemic. you've got backup as an owner. I kind of like to call it your get out of jail card. So uh, if things start tracking back and a food recall, don't go looking at the tank lining because there's a third party acceptability on this material. So that's the FDA portion of this, Mark. So the obviously that's pretty critical that, that it meets those requirements. And you'd mentioned a data sheet should state that. Is there some other type of documentation or assurance that a facility owner or a contractor should look for? Well, actually, one thing I did leave out is that the FDA requires a letter of guarantee. So if a food safety inspector says, I want to see what you're putting in that tank for a lining as you do the rehabilitation or you propose to put in there, I want to see it on the manufacturer's letterhead that this is compliant to the FDA standard 175-300. So on the data sheet, you should have not only that it's compliant, you should have the conditions of use we discussed, you should have the food types that are acceptable. But in addition to that, you have that third party uh, specialist, you know, who uh, has reviewed all of it and certifies, they certify that you've met the compliance. So that is very helpful to have that uh, as backup for the owner and there's safety for everyone, the contractor, the owner. And we're getting so much more involvement now with the food safety specialists and these food plants uh, and the project managers and engineers, they want that involvement. You know, their concern is this lining gonna work in this application and we get that. But it's a bigger issue here that you're putting the correct linings in these applications for that condition of use and those food types. So that's FDA direct food contact. And then how does USDA factor into this? 
Well, USDA basically follows a lot of the uh, follows the food code that's set up by the FDA and the USDA. Uh, they're uh, they're not a department; they're separate. The uh, United States Department of Agriculture, uh, but they are a wholly separate faci- uh, owned uh, operation out of out of the government agency, and it's 150 years old. It was actually formed during Lincoln's administration. And we get involved with them. They became way more active in the protein plants around World War II when new proteins were coming to market, like lamb and chicken was becoming big uh, and uh, seafood, seafood, too. And so they were doing way more inspections in the food plants during World War II and, and forward. Now, when the USDA is in there, they're, look, they're not looking at direct food contact linings other than if they demand that letter to know that it, you know, what you're putting in there is acceptable. What they're interested in is anything that could indirectly contaminate that food source. And so they're really looking at pathogens, bacteria, cleanliness. Uh, And the USDA actually, the division you see that actually is going in and walking around these food plants is called the FSIC, Food Safety Inspection Services, FSIS. They may have the white cap on with USDA on it, but that's actually the group that does it. And if they see something they don't like, like a divot in the floor that's holding water, that could hold bacteria, they're gonna talk about it. They see things on the ceiling that looks like it's not clean. They're gonna wanna know, what are you gonna do about that? So they follow, again, the food uh, safety standards set up by the FDA. And those basically start with the construction. So, you know, so you got you to build a wall out of something that's robust, that will hold up, that will hold up to cleaning and so forth. But you also have to make it, and this is, this is verbiage per the code, it has to be sealed, smooth, and easily cleanable. So they're looking for that on walls. They're looking for that on floors. They're looking for that in ceilings and even on equipment. So it sounds like FDA, just in general terms, FDA is associated with the direct food contact, which would probably be more of a tank liner type of situation. Uh, USDA is concerned about cleanability and sort of uh, fitness for the use of, of whatever environment that's going into. So it could be a floor coating, a wall coating, a coating on equipment. That's something that's easily clean. That's not going to harbor any type of harmful bacteria or pathogens. That. That's correct. And um, they do not require a letter of guarantee, but it's almost always asked for uh, something on the uh, vendor's uh, letterhead that this is acceptable for USDA service, meaning, you know, indirect food contact or incidental, I should say, incidental food contact. But will this hold up and will this be cleanable for this service? And uh, so even though it's not required, it's almost always demanded by that USDA FSIS inspector. Now, I think we're really fortunate at Tanemic in that we can quickly give these recommendations or you can actually kind of make your own recommendation where whether you're a specifier or a plan owner, if you have our food uh, guide for system recommendations, anything in our system recommendations within those plant locations, if it says it's the micro clean system, micro clean means we will write a letter saying this is a USDA compliant system for where you're at and where you're using it. I know anytime that hygiene in a facility comes up, cleanliness comes up, uh, it's often followed by questions about antimicrobials that are sometimes added to coatings to 
perhaps help with that situation. Can you comment on that? Yeah, let's throw one more party in here. Uh, the EPA. The EPA uh, actually handles that portion of the business uh, of, of in, food, in plants because uh, uh, antimicrobials and biocides and that, they're, they're considered a pesticide. And so they fall under the EPA purview. Now, again, we've, uh, I'm, you know, we're very fortunate here at Tanimi to have a very in-depth environmental group who really know their business with these materials and so forth, and the FDA, the USDA, but this gets even a little bit more complicated, of course. And uh, we do use antimicrobials in some of the tanemic materials. We'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but we use them in a fashion that EPA allows for. There's another CFR code. It's number 40 and subsection 152. What that means is, uh, is that we can take that uh, antimicrobial and we can put it in our coatings if we use it the way it's intended by the manufacturer. Okay. And the EPA is really not big on field additives of these things. There's the obvious abuse, right? Now, if two drops will do it, 14 will be better. No, that's not the right thing to do. So we, we put our antimicrobial materials when desired and when asked for in the coatings during the time of manufacture. And then that way, when they go to the field, they're the proper amount. The on-label use basically means, and the way Tanemic promotes their products, uh, for example, uh, like our UltraTread, uh, which has the antimicrobial in it, is basically that antimicrobial is not going to pop out and kill COVID or something else there. All it's there to do is to protect that topping on the floor from deg degradation from bacteria. So if you keep that surface nice and tight and not eaten up by bacteria or other, or other bad pathogens that could be in there, you have a smoother, more cleanable, USDA compliant type service, service, surface, excuse me. And that's why the antimicrobials there. Okay. So the, in general, antimicrobials aren't really there to, to kill off all kinds of, of bad materials. It's there to protect the film, make it easier to clean, maintain that hygienic condition of the facility. And immediately floors come to mind because they get beat up uh, all the time. There's a lot of things falling onto them. Um, what can you comment about floors and facilities and some of the major problems and concerns that facility owners uh, encounter? Right. Well, you know, I mean, it, there's, the, there's the whole big issue of the ceilings, the walls, the floors and, and everything else. And, you know, as an owner of a plant, you, you know, you want something that's going to work, be efficient, do a good job and last a long time. And of course, money is always a concern. Uh, if you're a contractor, you know, a specifier or a builder, you know, you're, you're looking for turnaround time, ease of application, and of course, cost savings. And uh, also low odor if you're in situ, you know, doing uh, maintenance in those plants. So all these things have to come into consideration when we're uh, talking about these systems uh, going forward in these plants. Um, I always like to start with you know, the walls go down and, you know, walls can harbor pathogens. I mean, concrete block is a very robust, sturdy building material. So it hits the FDA food code. However, you know, it's porous and it can harbor bacteria and it's hard to clean. So we have systems like what's called Strandlock, which are just outstanding. I mean, we can take every nook, every cranny, every crevice out of that wall, make that super smooth. We can coat it and top coat, we can top coat it with 
uh, films that will keep their color stability, which is kind of special in the industry. There's been a lot of wall systems that have very good epoxy surfaces on them and they're white today. And then tomorrow or a couple of days or three months down the road, they're all yellowed and the food owner isn't happy. They're also very uh, resistant to uh, um, uh, anti, well, not antimicrobials, but cleaning and sanitization, hot water and so forth. So the Strandlock systems actually build with a glass mat sheet into it. So it bridges over all the cracking and so forth. And uh, so those are one of the more outstanding systems. And once you do a wall with a Strandlock system, it's there for quite a while and very little maintenance to it. And that makes people happy. You know, installation costs are gonna be a bit higher uh, but your long-term return is much better on a wall with the Strandlock system. You know, I being in the coatings industry, I think it's the first question when you're you're trying to think of a, a coating recommendation or a solution is what are what's the environment? What's going to be exposed to? What kind of abuse is it going to to uh, have to withstand? And you had listed hot water washdowns, high pressure washdowns, um, uh, some of the cleaning agents that are commonly used. Those would all be questions that need to be answered before a recommendation really could be made. Yeah, the, the the most you the best information you can get the most information you can get about the service conditions are going to help you and direct you into the least expensive system for the owner. We're not you know trying to gild the lily here. If something a little bit less will work, if the tilt of wall and it's not concrete block, if there's other systems, or if it's in an area of the plant that you know you don't suspect it's going to have a lot of washdowns, but uh, so we can use, quote, a little lesser system there because it just doesn't demand it. And it'll still be a micro clean. You know, we'll still be able to give a USDA letter on it that it's acceptable. But I always let the, you know, kind of advise everybody, well, this area of the plant today, you know, maybe, you know, egg crate storages. But next week it might be, break, uh, you know, with an expansion, it might become the process system. So you only get a first crack on that wall one time. So we want to go with the best systems we can afford and be appropriate. Um, but, you know, you're correct because different clients have different needs. In the dairy market, for instance, they use a lot of sanitiz sanitization, sanitizers that have phosphoric and sulfuric acid in them. And that's fairly aggressive too. Uh, and sometimes they don't get, they, they slop it all around, carry it in buckets and so forth and it drips on the floor. And anybody who's been around sulfuric acid knows it'll turn surfaces red. So how important is stain resistance? <clears throat> and we certainly have uh, toppings that can go on these floors that are probably a bit overkill, but because they're a Novolac epoxy, like our 239, you know, uh, it will resist uh, that staining for hours if you don't get to the cleanup. So again, the case history or, or the intended usage is always important to make a good solid recommendation. So you've talked about flooring systems, wall systems, and of course, uh, often a, a neglected area is the ceiling, uh, but that can be critical there as well. Uh, what kind of systems or considerations need to be made for the ceiling system? We have a lot of recommendations for ceilings in our guide, and uh, it's it, you can go onto our website under uh, guidelines and hit the processing and manufacturing. You can pull that up, and we list ceilings, all different types and all different systems. And it depends upon the area of the plant, of course. I mean, if you're over open kettles, 
you know, that are, are producing maize or, you know, butters or things like that, you got to have yourself a very, very clean, a very robust ceiling on top of there. If you're expecting a lot of steam to wafe up into those areas, again, the same thing. So you could, you, we have higher performing systems, but we also have lots of systems that are very inexpensive, but keep it nice and clean up there. And, you know, we'll accept cleaning on a couple, every couple a week's basis and they're called like spray dry falls like our spray safe 30 is an outstanding one we have ones like our 115 unibond that will coat over every kind of multiple substrate you have it up in a ceiling because you know there's conduit there's galvanized there's plastic there's steel there's galvanized decking and, and pre-finishes and they'll stick to about everything so the ceilings have you know really really great options for them too and just kind of doubling back to that to the floors one more time i mean the floors are the biggest biggest concern when a food inspector is in there if the floors aren't in good condition he's thinking the rest of the plant's got a problem so the go-to product for tenemic usually and in every, in every food plant, pharmaceutical, beverage, whatever, is the polyurethane cement. And I, I failed to mention our ultra tread is just outstanding. That that I don't know, maybe it's millions of square feet over the years that we've that we've had installed with our ultra tread are just performing greatly. And they go down easy, they go down fast. And uh, they have quick turnaround service. They got great thermal shock resistance, which you need in a food plant. And recently uh, we rolled out the, uh, the bulk packaging method where we, our carbon footprint is reduced tremendously. These polyurethane cements, I don't know if you've ever seen them on a job site, Mark, but they multiple buckets, multiple bags. It just, the trash you, you create on a large job is just phenomenal. By buying it in bulk, shipping to the job site and using uh, reusable uh, totes. Uh, we save the contractor and the owner a lot of time and money, and we're a good steward by doing that as we move forward in the industry. So I, I encourage everybody to look at some of our ultra trade case histories around the website. It'll fit for your food, beverage, your pharmaceutical plant nicely. So floors are probably the, the obvious place. The inspector comes in and, and looks down and, and sees issues there. Um, maybe an area that is still uh, a headache to the facility manager, but not nearly as obvious when you first walk in might be areas that are condensating. Maybe there's moisture present um, and there are traditional insulation materials that could be used to help with condensation control, uh, even keeping things warm for a process. But what kind of coatings technologies are out there that can help with that? Well, that, that's a great, great, great question. We've got the answer to that at Tinimake. Uh, we, we have a product called Aerolon that is just state-of-the-art, direct-to-metal insulative coatings. And in these food plants, there's a lot of steam. You get frying conditions. You get you just moisture everywhere, constant cleaning. You get elevated temperatures. And what the Aerolon insulated material does is a spray on. You don't have to pull the old wool off. You don't have to put stainless steel cladding on and so forth. You can put it directly to the metal. With having that contact directly to the metal, you eliminate, you know, the opportunity for, you know, wet. You have wet insulation, doesn't work anymore. You have wet insulation, you have bacteria potential growth. So you have it in direct contact to the steel. And what you get out of Aerolon is, is you get three three multiple functions. You can, you can use it for worker safety protection. Uh, we did some uh, 
fermenters and a wet car milling plant uh, where the top of the surface was very hot and we use that for worker protection. So that worked out great. Uh, we also use it to stop the condensation. Uh, as you mentioned about the dripping off of pipes at a plant, that's a nuisance and it's a problem. It's a potential harbor of pathogens in that plant. And then the third use uh, for it, of course, would be to retain heat in a vessel. So by doing all this, you can put it right on directly to the steel and you get in and out much quicker. You can also do equipment or vessels that require insulation offsite. So you don't, you don't have that problem or concern with spraying within the plant. So the Aerolon just really does a great job for condensation control, for worker safety protection, and of course, for retaining heat. Uh, it's also available in a tape form. So if you've got smaller jobs or piping that are, are harder to get to, you can wrap it with uh, the Aerolon tape. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we've got an entire division that handles Aerolon. Uh, two guys work in that program and uh, they've forgotten and know more about Aerolon than I'll ever know. And we can pull them at any, any given time to help out. As a matter of fact, they've got these crazy little blue monitors that they can actually put on pipes and uh, they're inexpensive and they can record data on a smartphone and we get a great profile so we can give a great specification that we think will help this owner on this pipe service. And sometimes we got to say, hey, now it takes so many mills of this, forget it. Maybe you got to go back to the old insulation or, or use different water, you know, but, but at least we can give them an accurate uh, recommendation as to how many mills of airline you need to take care of this problem. Well, with Aerolon and, and gaining that information, the temperatures, the humidities, the, the operating temperatures of the equipment is critical. And really to go into a facility, you really, to make a, a, a reliable uh, high performance recommendation, need to get as much information as possible. You know, what, what are those service conditions? What, what are the environmental conditions? What kind of abuses or chemicals might it be exposed to? And that first conversation and walk through with facility manager probably is critical to gain that information. It, it really is. And I've already thought of another one. I forgot thermal breaks with this. And you know, we're walking through a bakery the other day and we're looking up there and he goes, look, look at this. He's talking to, the, to our coding specialist and says, what I got, I got all this corrosion coming through because it's cold on this side and I got the heat in the bakery here and it's all wet and look at that rust. We got that covered. That's Aerolon. No, very, very low odor to it. Uh, very easy to apply. Uh, doesn't need special equipment. And we're able to solve those thermal break problems within that plant. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there's been a, I mean, some people call it witchcraft, you know, <laughs> you know, out there. And there's been a lot of claims by a lot of insulative companies with cork in it and this and that and so forth. But, uh, you know, we want to be upfront. We want to be as honest as we can. If where we can help, it can help. It's not a single bullet for everything, but Aerolon really is a problem and time saver in a plant that has condensation issues. So let's talk about the expectations of the owner, because that's critical to make sure that um, they're going to get what they want. And, and also, what are the expectations, not only of the performance of the systems that are installed, but the installation themselves? when I'm sure a facility owner for an existing facility that needs a, some kind of renovation rehabilitation is concerned about uh, nearby occupied space, disruption to their process, downtime. What are some of the things that coding selections can do to help minimize some of that? 
Well, some of the things we can do is, I mean, <clears throat> everyone likes to spray. It's faster. It's more convenient. You get a more uniform coating, no pinholes usually, you know, that's best. But a lot of times we've got to think through the thing with our uh, field coating specialists and the contractor and the owner and, and get that case history, what we're doing here, what, uh, moving forward, as, as you had asked about earlier, Mark. And it, it, they may say, I've only got three days. I mean, you can have it on Friday. I need it back on Monday. Okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, 25 degrees in here. <laughs> you know, can we do something about that temperature? Yeah. Yeah. I, I give it, I could get you to 35. Oh, great. Okay. So now we know that. So now we need to design with a lower temperature, faster curing, can't spray in there. I'm told, you know, it's just going to get everything messed up. So we need a rollable material. So we're putting all this into the equation. How fast can we turn around this without sacrificing performance? Um, for instance, we do a lot of uh, insulated metal wall cladding in plants. Very big over the years being put in there, but uh, the pre-finishes on them don't look so good. They have some issues with the seams, you know, moisture getting behind it, bacteria. What can you do for us? Well, we have quite a few different microclean systems that will adhere to those panels. We have lots of case histories with them. And then we put a very good washable uh, top coat on it. And most of that's all low to no odor at all within the plant. So you can work while operations are going. But again, we want to talk to that owner and say, you know, are those totes of raw chicken going to be in here while we're working, you know, or not? So uh, that's, you know, how much time do we have? What do you expect out of this job? And then we'll design a system for the owner. Okay. Well, Dan, we've covered a lot. We talked about FDA direct food contact, USDA uh, non-direct food contact. We talked about the EPA and, and biocides. We went through floor, wall, ceiling, insulation, coating systems that are options. Any parting thoughts before we leave? Uh, no, uh, not at all. And not too much to add to this other than, you know, we hope that our clients, whether you're the owner, the specifier or our contractors who we rely so much on to do this, do our materials well. We make first class materials at Tanemic. We wouldn't be in business for 100 years if we didn't. We've been in the food, beverage and pharmaceutical industry for so long. We have so much case history. But we're only as good as that person putting it on, on for us. And we really do, you know, rely on our contractors to work with us as partners to do a good job for our owners. Uh, we're here to service everyone in this industry as best we can. And I appreciate the time to talk about this. Sure. Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, I think it's clear after this that when it comes to food and beverage facilities, especially, there's a lot to know. Uh, it's very critical that you have direct communication and clear communication with your coatings manufacturers representative. And for Tanemic, you can find that representative at tanemic.com, and they'd be happy to come out and do an evaluation of your facility. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for Coatings Decoded. 